Somebody recently asked me how I would boil this down into one video clip, this Bible. That's the clip. We all were made sort of to have certain things. Our friends dared us to do things that we really shouldn't be doing. We went up and did some of those things. We got in trouble. Jesus Christ came up. He pulled us off of that catwalk and helped us not to fall into basic death. And he saved us. That's my message for this morning. Let's get the worship band up here and I'm done. <clears throat> Every time I've done that, the church has been like, cool. <laughs> But uh, it's, uh, it's really good to be back. Today we're looking at how we seek the approval and the love of others and what trouble that can get us into. I was in uh, Newport Beach this last week, and I know a lot of you uh, have been down there. It's a nice area, I'll be honest with you, but people just don't smile as big as they do uh, up here down there. You know, maybe our smile's not as white, but we do smile bigger, um, so... <laughs> But uh, it is, it's awesome to be here. Uh, we're on our fourth week of our series called Fully Loved. And we're looking at how God wants us to be fully, fully loved in our lives. A hundred percent, down to our toes, our entire lives are completely embraced. And that how most of us put other things in our lives, in that God-shaped hole. found this image online this last week. I couldn't have designed a better image for this. Blaise Pascal said, all of us have a God-shaped hole in our hearts. And we try to put all kinds of things in that hole, but as you can see, only one thing fits, and that's the cross of Jesus Christ. And we took a look a couple weeks ago at how we have a tendency to put ourselves in that hole. You could imagine a little stick figure of yourself trying to fit into that Jesus Christ hole, and we try to love ourselves in unhealthy ways, and we have to be careful about that. I did hear about a farmer uh, from Texas talking to a farmer from Paso, and this farmer from Texas had a little bit too much unhealthy love for himself, and so he said to this farmer from Paso, well, how big is your farm? This Paso farmer said, oh, I don't know, about, you know, 35 acres. 35 acres, said that Texan. Well, I could get in my truck at 5 a.m., and I could drive all day until about noon. I'd get out of my truck, have lunch, get back in my truck. I could drive again until 5 o'clock, and I'd still be on my farm. <laughs> said the Paso farmer. You know, I had a truck like that once. <laughs> so we have to be careful about that tendency towards self-love. Well, today again, as the video intro sort of alluded to, we're going to talk about how we try to put the love of others in that piece. And in the best case, we try to put the love of people that we shouldn't really want their love. And uh, I, we got to quit putting animals on the screen. It just makes everyone just go googly. But we're going to talk a look at how, talk a look, good Graham. We're going to take a look at how we have a tendency to, to do that. Now, Jesus, uh, people haven't changed. You know, people think, well, people have gotten a lot worse. No, they haven't. They're the same people they were 2,000 years ago with Jesus. And so we're going to take a look at a dinner party Jesus got invited to. Now, Jesus got invited to all kinds of dinner parties. Incidentally, Jesus did three things in his ministry. He taught, he told the word, he healed, he basically fixed people's needs, and then he socialized. He went to dinner, and we should do the same. So Jesus is at, now he's been invited, now he had all kinds of dinner parties. There were the tax collector dinner parties. Never been to one of those, but that's where the most popular tax collector, the actuary or whatever, gets to the best seat, and then they got your other people in between. He went to drinker parties. Jesus did. His first party he ever went to was the uh, w wedding at Cana. It was a drinker party. And Jesus did not over-imbibe, but he basically did be with lost people. He was hung out with lost people. Now, Jesus is being invited to a Pharisee's party. Never been to a Pharisee's party myself, but I got to believe they were a little bit like pastor's parties. And I got to tell you, pastor's parties are awful. 
they're just awful. It's one pastor after another trying to look more religious, more spiritual than the other pastor. And have you ever noticed even the way pastors laugh is different from the way other people laugh? Like at a pastor's party, people laugh like this. <laughs> and then they go, indeed. It just, just is no fun at all. And so Jesus is at one of these parties where they're going, <laughs> indeed, to Jesus. Now, uh, so this is the setting for the text. Let's take a look at our text. We're looking at Luke chapter 14, 1 through 14. Let's listen for what God wants to teach us about being fully loved. Now, one Sabbath, when Jesus was, went to eat at the house of a prominent Pharisee, the most popular pastor, by the way, the Pharisees were always dinging Jesus for having little meals, snacks with his disciples on the Sabbath. Here, do you see this? The Pharisees are having a great big dinner party, hypocrites. So Jesus is invited to this really popular pastor's house. He was being carefully watched. You ever been to one of these parties before? You know, you, uh, you didn't get the memo, you're supposed to wear a suit, and you're wearing flip-flops and shorts. Jesus is being watched, and it's not a comfortable feeling. Now, there in the front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. Now, the person who wrote this book is named Luke, and he was a doctor. And doctors prog give prognosis that is correct. Now, dropsy is what we would call gout today. It's very painful. It means basically your limbs, your feet, your hands, they fill with fluid, and it's so painful. And it smells a little bit, too, for whatever reason. So this man smells, and he's in pain. Now, does Jesus go and hang out with the most important pastor in the room? No. He goes and hangs out with a man who smells. Jesus asked the Pharisee and the experts of law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent, vacant silence. And then Jesus takes the man and says, so taking hold of the man, can you imagine this? A man who has not probably been touched in like 20 years. The God of the universe then embraces this man. He takes hold of him. He puts his arms around this man and he heals him. And I would just give that to you today. One of the things that heals people is the embrace of Jesus Christ. This man who hadn't been touched in so for long, he was hugged. Maybe he started to cry a little bit. And then Jesus healed him. Well, now it's time for dinner. Now, unlike most uh, dinners, there, there were no place seatings. You ever been to those dinners where they tell you where to sit and stuff? It was a free-for-all for this pastor's convention. Uh, it was like pastoral musical chairs. And all the pastors wanted to sit in the best seat. Now, what was the best seat? Was it by the window? No. Was it by the hamburger helper? That was the best seat in my house, right by the tuna casserole. That's where you want to be. No. The best seat in this little party is next to who? The most popular people. And so all these pastors sidle up to this popular person. And Jesus decides to tell a little story. Well, he noticed how the guests had picked the places of honor at the table next to this head mucky muck pastor. And he tells him a story. Well, when someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. Don't sidle up next to the most important person. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this man your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the seat of the least important place. I'm sure this story just went down real well at this pastor's convention. But Jesus is not done. That was just one course. He's about to head into the second course. This is the second part of the story, verse 12. When you give a luncheon or dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, your rich neighbors. If you do, they will disinvite you back so you will be repaid. Don't create a club with your life of all the what you would call the best people. He said, no, when you have a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, those who have dropsy, those who smell, and you will be blessed. 
If Jesus was here today, he would say this. If you want the full love of God in your life, take out the desire to be loved by people, the desire to be loved by people you shouldn't be loved by, and even the people who do love you, and put in that place sitting next to the least of these. And by sitting next to the least of these, we fill that God-shaped hole with the cross of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the message. I actually haven't known like that many famous people in my life. I'd love to hear your story after worship if you've ever met somebody who's like really famous. I did have a brush with someone who was really famous once. 18 years old, I had a job where I was working in a mail room and uh, I was just riding the elevator up from the basement. There the elevator opened and standing right at the front of the elevator was a man five foot five inches tall, long ponytail braids on each side, a bandana with red, white, and blue, Wrangler jeans, and cowboy boots. Who am I talking about? Willie Nelson. Nelson. It was Willie Nelson. For a second, I couldn't breathe, literally. I was totally catatonic in the presence of somebody who was bigger and better than me. He got into the elevator, and there Willie Nelson stood in front of me, all five foot five inches. Have you ever noticed that people who are really famous actually are smaller than they appear on TV? (laughs) deep theological truth in that sentence. So here's Willie Nelson standing in front of me, and I just wish I could tell you today, I said to Willie, I've been a big fan of yours. I saw the Oak Ridge Boys at the Boise State Fair. I then saw the Mandrell Sisters, and I love you, Willie Nelson. I wish I could tell you today that I stood up, I stood in that elevator and sang a couple of his songs, Whiskey River, Take My Hand. I wish I could stand up here and just say, oh, all the girls I've loved before. But I didn't. I didn't. Because I wasn't for a second Graham Baird. I froze up. I was nervous. I lost a sense of self. I became somebody that I wasn't. And maybe you're doing the same thing today too. Maybe you're going to go back to your friends after this worship service and say, you know what, my pastor knows Willie Nelson. (laughs) Yeah, he's real famous. You should come to our church, Highlands Church. He's a real famous pastor. He actually went on tour with Willie Nelson. He, uh, he did a couple of his songs, kind of a Scottish country thing. Whiskey, whatever, take my hand. But we do that, though, don't we? We have this tendency to think that people who are, make more money than us, people who look better than us, people who are more famous than us, people who are higher in the pecking order than us, whatever that pecking order means, are better than us. We do that in all kinds of ways. We do that with the way we dress, right? We spend so much money on clothes in order to look like the quote-unquote best people. We buy houses in neighborhoods, right? And some of us buy houses in neighborhoods in order to be in the best neighborhoods. And what are those? Well, sometimes it is the best neighborhood. But sometimes it's actually the neighborhood where the best people live. And we do that with uh, our, our jobs. Maybe we just if we figure out we can hang out with, you know, the contractor, the chief contractor long enough, if I just kind of be in his presence for a little while, then, then I will actually, I really be who I want to be. I just want to uh, offer three things for us as we think about this. One, God loves you more than the people you think you want to know. Would you say that with me? God loves you more than the people you think you want to know. Heard about a guy who was 104 years old. And uh, you know how they do when a person turns 104, the whole media comes around them. And so this newspaper guy came around and interviewed this guy. He said, well, tell me about being 104. And this guy said, well, you know, he said, well... It's, it has its detriments, you know, I, don't, I can't think the way I used to, I, I can't smell, I can't hear, I can't taste, and, and uh, well, tell me, is there anything good about being 104? 
Well, you know, it's a funny thing. Since I turned 104, I just don't suffer from any peer pressure anymore. <laughs> Takes a second to think about that one. Haley's reaching an age when we're trying to get her kind of the right toys for her developmental processes. So we're getting her dolls that, you know, we hope are kind of the right dolls, if you will. And so we've got some, you know, dolls, nice dolls. We've stayed away from Barbie. Now, I don't have any real problem with Barbie. I really don't. But one thing I would say about Barbie is she was like the best doll, right? She had the best body and the best tan. But I always wondered why, if she was like so popular, do they always ask you to buy her friends? I never got that one, but... Let's just think about this for a second. Why do we actually want to hang out with people? Why would you be excited today if, I don't know, who's your person? If Willie Nelson gave you an email, or Sam Waterston, or Ben Affleck, or whoever your person is, or maybe it's just someone in your Why would you be excited about that? It's because a little tiny part of you actually thinks that that person is better than you. A little tiny part of you thinks that maybe they're just a little bit higher on the pecking order than I am. But here's the truth. In many cases, these people are worse than we are. And so rather than shooting for somebody, filling that hole in our hearts with somebody that actually would maybe try to fill it, we fill it with somebody who just doesn't even meet the bill. And Jesus would say, reach higher. Yes, reach for someone higher. Reach for someone much higher. His name is Jesus Christ. And Jesus hung out with the least of these, and that's why he is at the very top. So that's number one. God loves you more than the people you think you want to know, and this is going to be hard for some of us to hear today. God actually loves us more than the people who actually love us. It's tough, this little piece. I get a lot of people who come in for counseling, and I just always say up front, I am not a trained counselor. I did uh, stay at a Best Western last night, but I, no, <clears throat> I'm not a trained counselor. I did take some pastoral training, and I have some biblical understanding and good, in, hopefully good intuitive advice, advice. So I always refer out to a professional. But mostly, I've had a lot of marriage uh, couples who have come in over the last six months, and I just want to give you a profile of those conversations. This is not any one in particular, but this is the profile. John and Jane come into my office, and John and Jane are having a uh, problem with their marriage. And so they come in, and I say, well, John and Jane, tell me, how's it going? Well, John says, well, we've been married for 20 years. Wow, 20 years, I say, fantastic. Well, he says, not so good after all. He says, actually, for the last five years, I've started to feel that Jane doesn't really get me anymore. Hmm, tell me more. Well, see, Jane actually doesn't understand my needs. She doesn't really fill my hopes. She doesn't really get me. She doesn't really, she isn't connecting with me the way I need to be connected. And honestly, I'm sitting there wanting to say, John, you're a jerk. (laughs) But I don't because I'm a pastor. So I just say, indeed. (laughs) So, but what I do try to say is this, John, Jane doesn't get you because you don't even get yourself. And you're changing every day. Your needs have been growing and growing and growing. And you're killing Jane by trying to put her into that God-shaped hole in your life. And you're looking like a jerk in the process. So I recommend you let Jane be Jane and you put Jesus Christ in the God-shaped hole in your life. And it can take some time to figure that thing out. 
This is also one of the biggest challenges of being a parent, and I'm only brand new at this, so I'm not speaking from a place of expertise, but I think one of the things that's so hard about being a parent is the needs of our kids change like by the second, right? They just change. And so a baby's basic needs are what? Like total devotion, right? Total focus and diapers and just, you know, embrace them. But then what about a toddler? What's their basic need? Well, for Star and I, it's just to keep Haley from killing herself. (laughs) She runs off the side of the bed and we have to just brace ourselves. Well, what about a grammar school kid? What about a kid who's in grammar school? What do they basically need? They need structure. And they they need you to hang out with them, play sports, take them on camping trips, be around them. What about a teenager? What are their needs? Well, their basic need is that you would pretend to give them total freedom, but watch them like an FBI agent. (laughs) I have a principal in the front row nodding his head, Richard Blowers. And then what about a, a, you know, a person who's just left home? Well, their basic need is freedom, but then they need to know that they can come back again. They need to know that there's a place for them to come back. When the things get really rough, the storms hit, they need to know there's a place they can come. Then what about young parents? Well, they just need a place to drop off their kid for babysitting, but (laughs) we all have our needs, okay? And the problem for a lot of parents is we put put our kids in the God-shaped hole. And then our kids go through a tough time, and we go, this is not filling my hole. Yeah, it's about to fill it a lot less, and then they leave home. And then we're like, wow, I guess that's the end of the world. But it's not, because that's where God can come into the very hole. So that's the second thing. God loves us more than the people that we actually love us. And then finally, this is this. The only thing Jesus is really asking for us is to just sit at the table with the least of these for one meal. He's not asking that you would have the guy with dropsy move into your house. He's not saying sell all that you have and give to the guy who has dropsy. Just sit next to the guy who smells for one meal. I've been asking myself the question this last week, if Jesus was to come back on this Sunday, and wouldn't that be great, but if he was to come back on this Sunday, where would he come? Where would he like land on the earth? He might come to Paso, I don't know. He might come to, uh, you know, Chicago, L.A., Copenhagen, I don't know. But I, I would bet that he would go to Haiti, because that's where the least are. That's where the people who have the least are, and that's where the people who have the biggest needs are. I took a group of college kids to Haiti about 10 years ago, and this was a great trip. We took, these were medical kids. They were medical students at the University of Michigan, really smart kids, and we took them to this little place called Jacmel. Now, the stuff you're seeing on TV today, it's real bad, but let me just say it was bad back then. I mean, there were cars on fire. It was just one of the worst places, pardon me, I'd ever visited. And uh, we took these kids to Jacmel. It's in the south. And uh, they took off. These are smart kids. They went to this doctoral clinic, and they just started to meet the needs of people. And I'll be honest with you, I started to feel pretty insecure, thinking, I really shouldn't have been here. I should not have taken this trip. These kids are helping, but I'm not helping. I'm a pastor. But then I'll never forget a conversation I had with a guy named Jean who said to me, Graham, I can't imitate a Haitian accent. Are you kidding, man? 
It's just good enough that you took your vacation to hang out with the poorest people on the face of the earth, man. Just one meal. Just hang out with them for one meal. Maybe that would be the call that God has in your life this next week. You just pray for them for like five minutes. Or maybe give a little bit of your money to these people, the least of these. And what Jesus would say is, not only will that help these people, but it will move out of the way in our hearts the desire to be loved by people. And it will open up a way for the cross of Jesus Christ to come in. Because nothing can fill that hole. Not our parents, not our wives, not our husbands, and not even Willie Nelson. Would you pray with me? Dear, dear God, thank you that you made us the way you did. And thank you for making us with a God-shaped hole. And I ask that you would help us to fill that with something other than the things that we just instinctively go to. The love of the people around us. The love of ourselves. Lord, I pray that someday when all of us stand before you, and you ask us, what was the biggest time of my love in your life? We would be able to say that it was January 2010. When we cleared out of our hearts all the things that were in the way. And we just allowed your cross to permeate our souls. Lord, I ask that you would be with each person here today. Help them to just feel embraced by you like the man who has dropsy and be healed from the very top of our heads to the bottom of our feet.